Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Beedratty. It is uh, approaching winter. I'm hearing reports of snow on the ground in much of the Midwest, and it's getting really chilly. So what better way to stay warm than with the Beedratty's Willie Crew Neck tea? This thing is super comfortable. I, I've sung its praises before on this podcast, but we are officially in the long sleeve tea weather. It's great. Uh, I really like wearing the crew neck tee and, and putting the vest over it when I'm out running errands. It's, it keeps it really warm. It's, it's good. It's, it's like an optimal play for when the weather's 50 degrees, 40 to 60 degrees. It's, it gives you a lot of flexibility, lots of comfort. You look good. You don't look like a schmuck. We have some fried egg Willie crew neck tees in the pro shop. You can check those out at thefriedegg.com. Or you can go on BeDratty.com, check it out there. If you don't like the fried egg logo or you, do, you want a different color, they got, they got navy, light blue, gray, white. They are extraordinarily comfortable. I cannot say enough about these t-shirts. I wear them all the time. So BeDratty.com, great guys, great golf company that makes really high quality stuff. So if you want one with your club logo on it, tell your pro to, to stock them. That's that's the easiest way to get your club logo on it. Anyways, without further ado, today's guest is uh, Jaeger Kovic. So Jaeger is a golf course architect. He has worked for years as uh, an associate for Gil Hans. Uh, he got his start in architecture at being an intern for Tom Doak. So Jaeger is uh, one of the most well-traveled and thoughtful young architects in the game. I, uh, I really enjoy spending time with them. We walked around Wingfoot and Fenway and then uh, recorded this podcast. And it's a two-parter. Came back and recorded another session after we... This, this sounds like it's going to be the end of it at the end of this podcast, but it's not. Um, he stays around and uh, we do another hour. So this is a two-part podcast. Uh, part two will be out early next week. And uh, you can follow Jaeger on Instagram at Propergolf. That's also his website. So check him out there. So here is Jaeger Kovic. I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. ask you a question i've been thinking about this all day what's my favorite fruit no 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 much more much more uh personal we, question are, oh really more than that we were talking about bananas the last time that's pretty personal if did when you bought your car yeah. your club man oh man did right. you think that by buying a club man that you'd become more clubs man no uh in fact all i've got is uh shit about the car i drive uh on repeat from uh you name it jim wagner uh uh crazy dave cardos the super at burning tree oh my god they just never uh, it's it's not you know obviously i 
drive a mini now i've downgraded from the suv and it is just a never-ending uh shitstorm from all these uh guys that like their their big trucks and whatnot but i live in the city man I, i've spent enough time uh trying to look for parking spaces and yeah it's what a waste of uh days weeks months of my life doing that uh so clubman's great man fit the clubs in the back it's perfect you know it is I love why it. do you need a pickup that's what we have site vehicles for i don't need to drive my own car out on the site and ruin it on a you know that's what you know walking's perfect you can park kind of anywhere you know in the up at the clubhouse and then just walk out to the machine there's all sorts of great things you can think of little details that you notice walking around out there you know uh that's see so i don't need that. to i don't need to drive like within feet of where uh i'll be working for the day um that's yeah, that's why we have site vehicles. You know, that's why. So you'd say that pickup trucks are overrated in your industry. I mean, they have their purpose, but I wouldn't want one for myself. It's great that the clubs own them. That like contractors have them. I mean, that there's like a utility. I don't own any equipment, man. I I don't need that. I just got to show up. So well, well, it didn't have anything to do with the name. No, absolutely not. <laughs> All right. Well, that's what I was wondering. Z- zero. Wonder if it was like a subliminal sales point, you know. I drive a club man because I'm every I, club's man. It's it's <laughs> occurred to me. I did actually bring my golf clubs with me to the dealership to make sure that the clubs would fit properly in the back of the car. But uh no, that was that was not the deal. It's just fun to drive, man. It's just like a little BMW for a fraction of the price. It's perfect. So you grew up in New York City? Yep. The city, uh, yeah, upper Upper East Side. I grew up on eighty seventh and second. Yeah. When? Did, how'd you get into golf? How'd I? Well, we had the. Uh, you could get the shuttle to the Randall's Island Driving Range uh, on eighty sixth and third. So when I was a kid in the summers, you could get you know, all we had to do was literally cross two streets. Me and my best friend who lived across the street from me. And we could go over there, get on the bus, and go whack balls with my dad's old clubs. And um, so that's kind of really how we started, you know, swinging at least, right? And then when you grow up in that city, you have to drive somewhere to play golf. There's not there's, so. I think for whatever reason, you know, um, between the two of us, and then whoever could convince their parents to drive us out to wherever we we're going to play for the day, um, I just sort of became the guy picking where we were going to go and um you know you kind of i just started weighing things i think how far you had to go price what we liked about the course what we didn't like not that we knew much but you just kind of have developed preferences and try to find different different stuff um what was your favorite place to play as a kid uh our favorite public options around here so uh split rock for sure uh which is in the bronx um, then you know, we'd go up to like, there was like a newer, uh, modern course, I guess up in like Austin, we'd go through, that was kind of further away. Um, you know, probably wherever, uh, they'd let like two kind of high school age kids probably drive a golf cart at that point. But, uh, so we really just kind of went everywhere. We'd go play, you know, we went out to Beth page pretty early. We'd go all over Rockland County, Westchester, um, 
you know, I, my parents bought me like a couple like little guidebook, you know, with like a list of different courses and we just start picking things off as I'd read reviews or whatever and just go to different things. But eventually someone um, gave me practice round tickets to the 04 Open at Shinnecock and um, I was walking around out there on a on a Wednesday. I didn't I knew it was supposed to be this incredible place and I'd really just started playing golf like maybe two years before that just walking around, walking around, didn't really know where it was, but, um, randomly stopped on the seventh tee there. And I just, just happened to sit there for like an hour and just watch group after group after group come through and no one could hold a green, even in the practice rounds. I remember there was this one group with, there was, uh, Darren Clark, VJ Singh, Adam Scott, and there was like one other guy. So like real, like, top of the game at that point and they were just dropping buckets and no one could hit in the hole to think and I was like what the hell is going on so I we went home that night and I'm like dad and I turn on the golf and I'm like something crazy is going on out there and like they're talking about like I don't know obviously it turned into this like insane thing so that was like a real big sort of eye-opener into like man these golf course things are pretty cool right um that was like your first this is that was like a different. real big aha moment yeah um and then you know, after that, well, I ended up talking my way into being like a free intern for uh, Mundrum Cornish Golf Design when I was in college. Still, we had this like, oh. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Just got no, not. no, that was, you know, tough security here at the uh, Renaissance Hotel here. Uh, no. no free ads. No, <laughs> sorry. Pardon me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, what in the world? Um, so you you talked your way. Onto oh the, yeah, onto yeah. So we had this this internship like, internship abroad program. I went to Hobart. Um, I really become fascinated with the golf course stuff pretty quick, and I did some like big like year-long projects in high school trying to design a golf course on our campus and then went to college and studied architecture there and eventually so it was the o2 open what did you, what year o did you graduate oh four open what year did you graduate high school five okay so college so, nine so so that's when when did when were you did you really start to get into design was that before that o4 open no, no, no. It was really uh, in in college, you know. The so I I got that internship. I got to spend the year or spring semester in Cambridge and worked at uh, in Mark's office up up above the the flower shop in Uxbridge. And I knew from the first day I walked in there that this is what I wanted to do. So I went back to school uh, the following uh, fall and just did everything I could to sort of uh, gear everything towards golf course design. Um, and between the internship and going back to school, I spent the summer caddying at, at Quaker Ridge. Um, and I just totally fell in love with Tillinghast and I would spend my whole summer in the caddy yard reading every architecture book I could think of or find at that time and then go out and walk around, you know, help, uh, Mrs. Moskowitz get around, uh, Tilly's, Tilly's treasure. And, uh, so it was, you know, uh, pretty incredible learning experience there. Um, were you the guy in the caddy shack that everybody wanted to hang out with when you were reading those architecture books? Uh, <laughs> probably not. <laughs> um, in terms of like going, so y you realize you want to do this mm -hmm. and you're at Hobart. I, 
how did you go about pursuing it when you were in college? Because I, so I get a lot of people. So that when reach I was caddying, so we read. Uh, I read D- Tom's Minimalist Manifesto. Right, someone had told me about that when I was there. So read it instantly. Ordered the anatomy of a golf course the next day. Finished that within you know another day or two, and I found out Tom had this internship program. Right, so I applied for that, and uh, I made it through to the finals, and I went out to Bandon to to interview. Um, and you know, so it was pretty cool. We got to spend the day uh, walking around Old McDonald under construction, or and um, you know it was pretty crazy. There was like this random happenstance where Bill Core and Tom were on site up there at the same time and so we kind of all had dinner together a couple of other perspective uh interns i guess and bill and tom and i guess george botto was there eric iverson so there is it, it was pretty cool but tom and bill were both talking about these projects they had in china and or upcoming at that point and um so i kind of always had that in the back of my mind when that that first internship with Tom ended up, you know, I graduated in 09, like we just said. So the world ended, right? There were no jobs in golf. I could write, I wrote hundreds of emails after I graduated looking for jobs. You know, Jack, Nich- you know, the Nicholas company wrote back, like, listen, we just fired like 20 people. We're not looking to take on anybody right now. So I kept going with some caddying. What I ended up in, kept in touch with Tom. What I ended up doing was I went to this like heavy equipment operating school in like the middle of nowhere, Virginia, because I could write to these people like, so I finally, you know, had this nice interaction with the local golf contractor. So everybody's saying no. Yeah, and, there's and, no jobs, right? And now you're figuring out. I'm going back to I, caddy and keep, you know, studying the great golf courses in the Met area and keep writing letters. Like I wrote hundreds of letters to people all across the world, like uh, just to do anything, whether it was maintenance, whether it was construction, whether it was work for an art, like anything I could do that I thought could help. Um, well, so I, I was talking to this contractor that, uh, I ended up working for, but so I went out and meet him. He's like, well, great kid. You know, I'm so glad you can tell me all this stuff about golf courses, but what can you do that can make, can you get on the tractor and do anything? I was like, uh, no, I, you know, I, I grew up on 87 second, right? I what do I know about that? So I went to this heavy equipment operating school for like six weeks. You know, they taught me how to run at least basically the you know, how to run a backhoe and a skid steer and a dozer and things like that. And, um, I actually, in the meantime, took a, I was going to take a job at the Southern Hills maintenance department. I actually ended up, I got rid of, I dropped off a, uh, deposit. I let it go, uh, bailed on that. And Tony hired me within like three days of finishing that. So I went to work for Pavlik brothers for like two years and then I always what, so the let's talk about this heavy machinery school a little bit. Okay, uh, what did you go to like class? Was yeah, it, yeah, yeah. We had class in the morning, and, and what so, was was class like getting on these this equipment? So they do. I like, teach stuff? you a little bit about like you know some of the safety stuff and things like that. Um, and then, but also is like you know how to check grades on site. So that it's like a lot of guys with you know, looking to get just any kind of bare bones job they could with like, you know, not golf contractors, like but a road any, construction. Yeah. Company. Or like some sort of union or anything. But so these guys are like, you know, they're trying to learn how to do fractions and then do like tens of feet, you know, measure slopes and like angles and things like that. And I'm sort of snoozing through. Right. And, you know, you have to take the test and like at the end of the day and then the afternoon was on like on the equipment 
you know, actually getting time to like, you know, learn how to pull the trigger, you know, pull all the levers and make the thing run. And you had to be able to dig this deep and this far and keep it clean enough. And then they gave you like, you know, I guess some sort of license. I don't know. I never really did. You don't need them to do any of this. It's just crazy. But. Do, do, do you think, do you ever look back on that and think that that experience did anything differently than had you gotten like a job right out of, uh, right out of school? Because you went and it, it it's a little bit more different path than most. That was different, but then I th- actually I think well, it was there's a pattern. I think uh, I suppose the word is like grit. I suppose I'm a very driven, like single minded person. Because what I did next after working for Tony or during w- while working for Tony, knowing that Tom and Bill, who I both interviewed. To, for jobs within the past, they had these jobs in China. So while I was doing the construction for Tony Monday through Friday, I'd go still caddy Saturday, Sunday at Quaker. But I taught myself Mandarin on Rosetta Stone enough and kept telling Tom that I was doing that, that like by the time his project came around, he had to hire me. So you, so that's, I mean, you knew both these guys had this project. Yeah. And, you, and so in I order to chance. make yourself more... I learned how to run all the equipment, got experience doing the construction, and then I was like, well, I can at least, you know, say a few, you know, enough to at least prove that I was a lunatic enough that, you know, it might be worth sending this kid to the other side of the world to at least give it a shot, right? Um, so it, it worked. So it worked. So Tom <laughs> yeah. hires you. And- yeah, like two years later, um, and it was, it was cool. Actually, the first thing we did was the uh, – we worked on his – Olympic proposal, which was pretty cool. Spent some time up in his office and then ended up at Dismal River in the meantime for like five months on that crew and then spent probably almost two years, the better part of two years in in China with uh, Eric and Tom. What was that golf course called? In China? Yeah. Simipo Island. It didn't ever open, right? Nope. Uh, So no, uh, it was completed and then it was like I guess they had that like presidential change uh, during the project, so uh, Xi Jinping came into power like sort of kind of halfway through it, and the politics really flipped in terms of being pro golf and new things like that. So no, it was really never permitted to open, and um, we knew like not long after we completed it, they planted the. the trees in the greens and they grassed all the bunkers all the way down and put some shrubs and things like that in the fairways and tried to like disguise it a little bit but the last time i checked on google earth it looked like it just got dozed over to be honest um well now that you've been a part of a ton of projects mm -hmm. what how i mean what were like the emotions like when that happened well, I mean, it was weird because where you kind of pour your soul into something, especially. Well, I guess it was like probably a, a good lesson to learn early on. But at the same rate, it it's not ours. And, you know, pretty quickly, right, when you're in China, right, how many times are you going to come back to China to play? You know, we were kind of just like, well, maybe we'll come back for one victory lap when it's over, play it and, uh, you know, feel good about all the struggles we went through to get it done. And, you know, if we see it again after that, there would probably be something else that pulled us back, you know, happened to be there for a reason. It's not like 
make a singular trip all the way there for that um just because of the difficulty and stuff but um the core crenshaw what, course didn't open either right oh it no, did it, it, it's, it's very still, much open yeah, it's, it's still, still open. open okay the they had one in mexico that didn't open right i i can't uh, remember. tom I, did uh, tom got that baja de, yeah bay of I dreams heard, yeah bay of dreams i forgot which one it is it's funny actually know. bill's the guy that grew in sanching bay bill's course in Hainan, we became very, very friendly with, and he'd actually done a growing in Mexico, and he probably played that Bay of Dreams course more than anybody in the world. So he, he's got to play a couple of those that like no one else has ever, ever even stepped foot on. Um, Chris, Chris is a good guy. He helped us get through a lot of those difficulties uh, culturally that go on with working in china versus here but no it's not it's not your golf course it never is it's never ours we don't own it we come and you know i like to kind of joke you know we make love to the to the dirt and you know we kind of give it our best but it's it's not ours so you learn that it's you know you don't always get back to them nearly as much as you like right um even when they're in your backyard uh you know i've been lucky to do some projects around here and you just don't get back as much as you like. And then the chances that it's going to be exactly as you envisioned it, you know, even that's, you know, the percentages drop again. Um, so it just makes it really awesome when you do get to, and it's like they took it to a whole nother level and you never like it just, that's really cool. But you don't stress like, you know, it's, it's not our, it's not, it's not ours. We, we do the best we can and, make love to the dirt and you know put everything we've gotten to it but you got to love the process and not be about the final product it's it's all about getting there and making sure we do everything along the way that it's going to have the best chance you work as a a, a contract you do your own work you've mm-hmm. got you know you've got a handful of clients you also do work with gill and tom as a contractor um yeah, mo- mostly Gil. Mostly Gil. Uh-huh. It's really been pretty much Gil only for like the last five years or so. Um, and then when I worked for Tom before that, it was, you know, actually, you know, it was mostly as his employee, which is a really unique thing. I think that yeah. was part of because of the China stuff and the visas. But I did a little bit independent after that. But it's mostly, uh, mostly I founded the my little company really after I got back from from China. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's been a What's nice it? transition to sort of five years with uh, Gil, and now a little bit on my own since then. What What's it like not knowing where you're going next? Like, <laughs> you know, you're on one job and you don't know. You, you what... were complaining about the anxiety of the weather uh, this morning. I don't know. It's like I wish my anxiety was geared towards the weather. That would be quite a delight. I mean, that's, uh, that's a small anxiety. I got a lot more big anxiety things. There, I hope so. There, there are many, many big anxiety things that right, keep yeah. me up at night. No, it's tough. Uh, it is. It is. It is really difficult, and you know, it's sort of, you know, the site work. Uh, shaping you know when you're just sort of being you know once you're there and going that's sort of almost the easy part it's so hard to sort of continuously set things up and you just really have to be flexible and trust and really kind of you know you have to have a lot of sort of 
you're juggling a lot of things at the same time and hoping sort of the dominoes fall right. Um, it's 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 really really tough um, to to really break out and to get the projects going. You know, it's you you probably heard like Bill talk about it a little bit. Um, I know Gil as well. Like you've always got to have so many of the sort of projects kind of heading towards that sort of interview stage. And then once you get through that, you could have a whole bunch and, uh, you know, they just don't go to construction. They just sort of fizzle out through there. So it, it, it's amazing this, you know, to be able to watch Gil, who's, you know, he's got busiest architect in the world and how much he's doing behind the scenes that once you know we're on site with him you don't really see how much has gone in behind and it's i mean these guys that you know they're they're non-stop gil tom these you know they're up at 5 a.m writing emails for two hours uh before and then go get on him a dozer from 7 a.m to 6 p.m and then he's back drawing plans and doing all these things and like it, it just never ends but that's that's what it takes and um you know, it's it's been kind of cool to learn a little bit more about that uh, the last couple of years, and we're going with the trial and error strategy uh, over here. What what was the first solo project you you got? Oh, the first one was actually the Village Club of Sands Point. Um, that's uh, that came off a recommendation from Tom right on the heels of. Uh, starting my own little company after China. Um, that place was originally the private estate of Isaac and Solomon Guggenheim back in the roaring 20s when, you know, why wouldn't you have a nine-hole golf course on your private estate and sail your boat into the city for work every day? Um, and then it Sounds became, like a nice life. Right, you know. <laughs> we're not quite there yet. Um, <laughs> So then it became IBM Country Club for quite a while and it uh, was, you know, really changed around a little bit with the Trent Jones in that and still nine holes. And then who designed it originally? Tillinghast? Don't know. Uh, there's been like some suggestions of like a local kind of golf pro from one of the early clubs out there as well. But to be honest, I just don't know. Um, there's still like a lot of, a couple of features here or there that remain from it, um, which are pretty cool, but, um, it's really at this point, what we see is, uh, uh, early Tom Doak course. Um, he, Tom turned it from nine holes to 18. Uh, it was going to be one of his early projects, but it's part municipal and part run as a private club at the same time. And I think it took a long, long time for them to really get it in the ground. Um, so they had approached him about doing some, you know, actually moving the clubhouse from it's in these old kind of stable buildings from the old estate days, which are actually really, really cool. But the obvious thing sort of the whole time was put the clubhouse up at the old, uh, mansion that they have is way up on top of the hill it looks directly into the city skyline on one side and then out to the Hampstead bay on the other so he kind of didn't he was busy dealing with you know other stuff like i probably stream song and things like that were starting to come online after that so he he recommended me as someone you know was still living in the city at the time and uh young and eager and um We've been slowly chipping away at things over the time we looked at doing that. We didn't end up moving the clubhouse. Uh, we've 
rebuilt uh, all the bunkers in house and um, have a sort of master plan permanently on uh, sort of purgatory out there trying to sort through the difficult difficult politics but it's a good learning experience for you know you know at that point i was like probably 25 or 26 when i first started what we completed the bunker project it was probably five years ago now so um we did a little bit last spring too trying to get a little bit momentum to the the full master plan but that place has so much potential i bet the you know going back there you, the way the way you view the whole industry is so much different than when you got that right up right off of china oh man like yeah uh absolutely um yes the uh my proposals and just the way i go about things now is certainly very much different than the i will be ultra fiery 25 year old that they were dealing with at the time (laughs) I'm I'm from New York. And it's still there. I uh, but um, it's good. I mean, they're they're like that too, right? They're tough Long Islanders. You know, if they're not giving you shit, something's wrong. So it's 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 great. I I you know, it was a classic New York relationship. Of course, it still <laughs> is. It's I, I I would be hurt if it was anything but. It's did they ever tell you you've changed? You know, when you come back, <sighs> I don't know. <laughs> probably fatter and have less hair but <laughs> how hard is it recently you were in france right mm-hmm. and meanwhile you're trying to build your individual business mm-hmm. and like weighing i mean you're gone like how do you interview for, how, how do you pursue jobs in let's say america when you're in france like what how's is that a really when you say you're gonna go do a job say for gill mm-hmm. how do you still try and win jobs back home or does it do you feel like sometimes you might cost yourself stuff uh i don't know i mean it sure i could have instead of spending five months there i could have been pounding the pavement every day at home in that time um i guess uh but you know i that was such a unique incredible opportunity to go over there i just really didn't want to pass that up um i had the opportunity to work in france for like a month before and i and i heard about that that was a potential i sort of knew uh that's really what i i, I wanted to go do that because it was such a unique opportunity and in such an incredible place um but you know, it's not like we're there five months continuously. I, you know, we definitely have to come back for things here or there. And um, I don't know, somehow it, it, it managed to, to work out. We seem to have added a couple new clients uh, over the course of the year. So I don't know how it happened, but it, I, you know, I think people understand that, you know, that was a unique opportunity and it was, you know, ultra passionate about what I do and, you know, I just wanted to see more great Tom Simpson stuff at the same time. And, you know, there was also the opportunity to sort of try to get your foot in the door a little bit with some places over there, I suppose. Um, Well, I imagine, too, like a club probably doesn't want to hire somebody that's just like not around. Like that's just I'm not not saying not around, but like not working. 
Like you know, that's oh, like yeah. It, it, and there being was being busy. Is my, my you know the the clubs that work at they we pretty much buttoned up a lot of work in the in the fall heading into Christmas, and you know they weren't going to be digging or anything. So if you know a two you know a couple regular consulting visits through the spring or the fall were easy to, to sort of work around. And when I came home, you know, the poor, you know, girlfriend, now fiance probably didn't see me. I was probably working as much when I was at home as I was when I was there. So it wasn't really like I was at home, but, you know, and at the same time, Gil and Jim have always sort of known what that I sort of want to do stuff on my own. And they've been really, really amazing at trying to help further that um so uh, you know it just you gotta be without ca- fiance not girlfriend I, I it was girlfriend at the time now fiance <laughs> i was very very careful about that i'm sure she would have corrected me within minutes of uh you releasing this um i i I nailed that one. You can check the tape. Okay. We'll, right. we'll, we'll, we'll let her check the tape, you know? <laughs> I'm just looking out for No you. funny editing here. Uh, hey. Now for a quick word from our sponsor. Today's episode is powered by TD Ameritrade. Whether on the course or in the market, it helps to have a second set of eyes to keep you on your game. That's why TD Ameritrade's Trade Desk is here to help gut check your strategies so you always feel confident teeing up a trade. Visit tdameritrade.com slash fried egg to learn more about what their trade desk can do for you. Member SIPC. Now back to Jaeger Kovich. So uh, you mentioned Tom Simpson and it, you you visit tons of golf courses. You're always on me about visiting more golf courses, you know, hounding Not, not more, but different. go to different places. <laughs> yeah, 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 I, yeah, yeah, I know. More. So, you see plenty, right? You've been incredible about going to all sorts of different places and promoting things that people have never really heard of. So I give you a shit about not going across the pond because you're, but yeah. But, but anyways, Tom Simpson, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm enamored, mm-hmm. read his book. What did you pick up this summer getting to see all those Tom Simpson courses that you, you otherwise wouldn't have had? Cause I feel like that's, you know, it's the lifelong study architecture and, and what are maybe one or two things that you, you learned from, seeing all that um i think so there's there's two real things i think that sort of set him apart from there's is the the way he was able to certainly at a couple of his courses the the natural greens and keep the greens so far down he's so good at getting his features especially the bunkers but mostly the greens just like at grade just perfectly sunk into the ground where you know we just spent you know, we've been walking around Tillinghast stuff uh, for like six hours already today. And every all the greens you see, you know, they're all pushed up. And um, but what I loved about Simpsons is like you couldn't tell where the fairway stopped in the green. And it was just uh, really just that seamless blend. And to be able to do that back then um, was pretty incredible because he was surely was digging these things out. And you can see uh, he's got all these old cinders. The guy was essentially building like these rudimentary usga type greens like sunk in the ground and built back up to these finished grades he's got all these kind of cool so holes would, so he would dig out he, he must have because if you go walk around like shantee you can see all these like cinder like stones sort of popping and exposed through the bunkers where they're kind of 
um, a little more burnt out and eroded. And like you can see that what's under the greens, but the greens are at perfect natural grade. So the, you know, force I'd be able to, you know, see all that stuff go way down, fill it back up and layer it beautifully. as so it's like, you couldn't tell that anything was done it was pretty, pretty incredible. So the greens at grade thing is really amazing, especially like, you know, we build a lot of USGA greens, right? And it's really, really difficult with USGA greens to make it kind of have that seamless. Well, you've played Garden City, right? You know, it's like almost everything at, at Shanti E was just like that. That uh, I just thought that was the coolest thing ever. Um, talk and then about, talk about, I, I, you know, people throw around USGA greens and, mm. and, and being somebody that's built a lot of greens. Like, what, uh, what, 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 constraints do usga greens create that that non-usga greens don't you know i don't know about the constraint stuff but i think you just have to be really really take the time and be conscious of as you you create these wells right so to get the cavity to go with the drainage the four inches of stone the 12 inches of mix all that stuff you know, you kind of get the if you build a landform and it looks really good. Well, now you got to drop six thousand square feet at sixteen inches, so all of a sudden you're going to end up with all this extra dirt. And it's easy to just raise everything around it, but to be able to take the time and like you know, false fronts are difficult with, uh, and like all the false sides and to get the edges of things like you might have seen today. You know how they get the contours to spill off the edges and the the unusable green space perhaps, right? You know, and how it drapes over, how it's rising up in other contours and tying into things. It's really, really hard for a lot of people to get the everything to match um, and to be able to visualize how it's all going to come back up at the end. Um, so I think that it's it's really just about taking the, the sort of time and, you know, focusing on, on making sure that, I suppose if you want, if that's really what you're uh, to to get that sort of stuff in there. Um, there's no reason why you you could have a USGA green that does exactly the same as any sort of push up native soil, anything like that. Um, you could build this whole thing at native grade and then have someone come core it out and just paint the lines at the end and pull all the extra. But you got to cart it away and stuff. But there's there's a lot of different ways. It's more about the attention and the time and the effort. Um, cause it's easy to just, it's a lot easier to not do that stuff. Um, if you don't want to with the methodology, I guess. H having worked for Tom and Gil, mm -hmm. but say you were going to, if you could just, you know, take one, you just like, you know, the monsters and space jam, you know how they sapped the, 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 the NBA players power, superpowers. Yeah. <laughs> if you could just take one skill from each of them. Right, and and it's yours now. What would it be? I don't know. Well, like it, the sort of the way I kind of describe it is, well, Tom's sort of like he's like Bill Belichick of of the the golf art. Like he's just like the like you you couldn't try to be Tom, right? There's only one Tom. Like you can't do that. But there's so. I love his golf courses. He's so good at always making things different. It, they always, people try to, you know, oh, he's the guy with the crazy bunkers or whatever. You know, a lot of times it's wild, wild greens. 
but that's not always the case. He's just so good at constantly reinventing his style from course to course. And that's, that's part of the brilliance, obviously the routing stuff as well. And, uh, but so it's gotta be one of those two things, whether it's the, it's, He's just the, the the mad genius, right? It, it just seems like he gets if he had to build the same type of course all the time, he'd get bored and he wouldn't want to do it. So he's always trying to do something different. It almost of course, be- and I I totally buy into that. I don't like doing the same thing over and over again. You know, I'm constantly looking to. I, I'm just sort of like try to shake things up and always chasing something different. You know, it's there's a lot of sort of us sort of younger shapers that like man. You know, we've all built like, you know, a gazillion blowout bunkers. You know, I don't want to do that. So that's why going to France was really cool because we got to do it was a flatter site. You got to really sort of do some unique things that, you know, it's way different than restoring uh, a tilling. It's way different than, you know, it was a new challenge um, to try to do that sort of stuff. So I, I really that's what I, you know, I like. But so I, I suppose it's the 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 routing stuff with Tom or the drive to always create something different. Um, and, you know, with Gil, you know, there's a number of things. So it's like, you know, I love that he is so adamant and same with Jim, right? They're adamant about getting on the machines every day still, right? That's their favorite part. It's, um, it's getting on the dozer at 7am and just going out there and creating. And it hasn't turned into like, you know, they trust us to, you know, do a lot of the editing and things that are in and edit ourselves and kind of work as a team, but to still be able to go out there and, and do all that as well as continuously route and get the jobs and stuff like that. Um, you know, and it, like I was saying before, it takes the drive to wake up at, ins- you know, insane amount of insanely early and then do all that and then shape and then chase. All- it's so it's, you know, work ethic and then just the um you know passion about still shaping everything on their own um that's something that i for sure uh i can't foresee a day where i I don't want to do that to me it's still my favorite thing ever too is getting on the dozer um that's that's my favorite so i think it's kind of you know, a sort of a combination is great because I get, I do get to pick parts of each and sort of find my own way. Um, and I've probably personality wise, or, you know, I've probably changed a little bit too. I, uh, you know, from seeing how both, both guys just are and what works for them. And, um, it's been, it's been a really nice, uh, learning experience from, from two of the, the best, um, couldn't have worked out better i guess yeah yeah it's uh <laughs> um would you would you say that Tillinghast has been the architect you know golden age architect that you've been influenced by the most or um maybe the mo- you know early influenced by i i guess so um definitely i i, I think you probably have to, i'd probably have to say yeah just because i've seen such a huge amount of his work. Uh, I live pretty close to a lot of the the best stuff. Um, you caddied at one of the best. Yeah, um, you've 
you've been part of a bunch of restorations. Uh, yeah, you know, your your work it's, at Suburban and you know. it's right. So I've had a lot of those sort of dream come true moments, which is pretty cool, right? So he was certainly my my first architectural hero. Um, but then when you know Gil asked about doing the project at Ridgewood, I was like, oh, like you know, I got to caddy there in the Med Open. Um, you know, when I was in college, so getting to go there and like restore all 27 holes ahead of the tournament was, I mean, a- and live at home at the same time. Right. I could, I sleep in my own bed 20 minutes away. I mean, ah, this is, this is a absolutely a dream come true job. And then, uh, you know, that, that project turned out to be, you know, just a, a home run in, um, you know, I really sort of fell in love with the sort of the process of the restorations from there, but yeah. So, you know, then when Gil asked about going to the Creek, uh, Fenway rather, um, it was during the Creek project, which is how that came out of, um, but, uh, you know, that was, a, you know, getting to work down the street from Quaker, you know, the famous street here with four top 100 tilling house courses. Uh, I mean, incredible. Fenway was one of the earlier of the tilling house courses I saw. Um, so get to do a little bit of work there. And then, you know, the first time getting hired to do a tilling house restoration of my own last year at Suburban was, you know, it just happens again. And, you know, I was just honestly, just yesterday, I got hired to do, you know, by another club in, in Philadelphia where, you know, they actually had a tilling house course back in the day and ended up having to move properties in the 60s. So they lost that, but they still have the history. We've been able to find some of the old photos of it and are now kind of hoping to do um, a project where we can sort of reconnect them with some of that history and bring some of that style into their new property. And its property has just insane potential uh, right on the Wissahickon Creek. So again, I mean, it's just got all the right elements. And I think, you know, it matches perfectly with sort of Tilly's style. So just another sort of the, the what, what, it, talk about Tilly's style. If you if say you're just, you know, somebody who's listening, who's lives in, uh, in Los Angeles, who's never seen a tilling hast, what, mm. what, what do they, what would you, how would you kind of, if you were going to just distill it in, so in the, a, sure. There's the, the, is, he really adapted his style to the sites, um, which is pretty, pretty incredible. You know, they're all, they all have this thing where you can kind of tell they were all designed by the same guy. They all have something that draws you to them and you like, you know, but they all can look very different. The bunker styles can be drastically different. The greens, I mean, you walked on Wingfoot screens this morning and then you walked on uh, Fenway's a little bit later here. This And they're, they're very, very different. And they're just down the street from each other. Quaker is physically in the middle, but it also, it's stylistically probably in the middle as well. It's much more subtle. Um, and then you just go down the street again to another. And it's, again, it's, it's a total, you know, Somerset Hills is so different from Wingfoot, is so different from Baltusrol, not just in the greens, but the bunkering, right? Ridgewood has these crazy fingers and things like that, and it's super artistic and flashed. And then, you know, Fenway was very simply kind of rolled down a lot of those sort of figure 80 kidney bean type things, but then all of a sudden we'll just throw like a, you know, that giant Sahara complex like on three, and it's just like, 
oh, okay, well, I've seen that Sahara. Okay, well, he does that uh, Hell's Half Acre thing. Billy so, Cricket. Yeah, right. Like, uh, Quaker, Quaker, you'll yeah. see tomorrow. Beth Page. I mean, they're, they're, all over, they're all over the place. So it's – they always have – there's little bits and pieces like that. There's, you know, countless holes, right? He named like little Tilly, these tiny little holes that are just like little devils. He built a couple of redads. He's got template holes too, like the reef hole. Um, you know, he talked like double dog wake. But I think also the biggest thing he, and I think in his style too, was I think his phrasing was the immaculate contouring and the way the approaches blend seamlessly into the greens. Um, so that's, that in terms of feature wise, I'd say is the number one overriding thing is that the contouring and the approaches just seamlessly blending and tying in and how they function as one, right. To be able to bounce the ball in back then was, was a really, really big deal. Um, so, and I, you know, maybe that came from some of the plasticine model stuff and how he just sort of worked all that together is like you couldn't just do the green you had to also you know move the the material around with your like up into the approach and tie it into something and maybe that's sort of how it developed i i don't know but i feel like that's pretty consistent all the way through um and then you get little things like you know he definitely had a tendency to and he loved like holes with sort of water features and things like that too probably a bit more than most guys like you know there's a gazillion of his courses that have like those little creeks or ditches that are like you know maybe at one point held water but you can't kind of figure like they had some sort of function and uh a f- like strategic form value as well um and then uh you know we saw ditches at wingfoot we saw Fenway, they're over Balti, they're they're everywhere. Uh, but he also would like reroute creeks and things like that, and he built all those island greens. And yeah. I mean, oh. he would like right the the moat hole, the Binny Kill hole, the island green at Shacks, Sun Eagles, like tons of them. Right, like I was saying earlier, he's probably built more island greens than Pete Dye. But you know, Pete Dye's the island green guy. It's you know, it's kind of funny how some of that gets lost or whatever, um, or sort of falls out. But um, that's, that was very much his, uh, he loved that sort of stuff, I guess. Um, but you know, a lot of people too talk about like the Duffer's headache thing, right. Where he was very famously would have changed the style where, you know, maybe early on he would have had that stuff. And then on his big tour through the country, took a lot of that stuff out and he probably did a lot of good for golf in, in that sense. Um, and he was on, with the PGA just, yeah, yeah. just visiting courses every day, racking up more miles than the two of us probably. How many bars do you think he visited during that time? I don't know. Maybe he's just getting lubed up in the back of the Model T or whatever. He didn't have a club man. He didn't have a club man. Yeah. He was every club's man, though, then. At that point, yeah. <laughs> the conversation comes full circle. It's, you know, just tying it all together. <laughs> tie-ins matter, man. It's, uh, tie-ins matter. Growing up in New York. Yeah. Every, everybody always asks me where where should I play public golf in New York? Yeah, you probably know public golf in New York as well as anybody. Uh, maybe. Yeah. How would you? What What would be your recommendations on on the island, Jersey, and north of the city? Um. Well island everybody's gonna tell you you go to beth page right that's the obvious one black 
but also the red's awesome. Um, I suppose there's lots of theories of whether it's Twinghast or Burbeck or whatever, but uh, either yeah, what way. What do you think? What, what would your opinion be if you had to? There's. I don't know. If you look at 118, is it the fifth or sixth at the par five that climbs up the hill on the red? And then they've got that really crazy hole out there kind of somewhere around like nine or ten with this crazy central hazard bunker complex and fairway left and fairway right. Those just scream tilling has to me. I've seen... Tilly built a very similar hole to that, just without bunkers at, at Quaker. You're going to see it tomorrow on the eighth. Thinking it's, about San Francisco, twelve too. Uh, right. So I, you know, maybe the other guy did it from his plan. I, I don't know, but you know, how did you know? I've gone out there to play. What is it? The yellow course with the reef hole. Well, how did Burbeck come up with the reef hole? You know, Tilly's writing about it all the time. You know, there was there's an awesome one at Suburban. There's an awesome one at Quaker. There's yeah. Uh, southward ho on the island you know i i i don't know i don't quite get that but whatever i'm i'm not the historian that's gonna shuffle through the endless documents and like what is at a certain point how much does it really matter it's still an awesome golf course and i would go play the black blue red red before blue but there's some cool stuff on that one but either way there's there's like other public stuff out there there's eisenhower park right has the um a met court the old salisbury right that was the famous uh you know garden city before garden city right um so the island is a little tougher on the the public golf options to be honest um I've been out to Montauk Downs. It's cool. The property is amazing, but it could really be something super incredible. Um, but it's still worth your time. But it's way, 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 way out there. So it's hard to send people it's all the way there. As far as it gets. But as you know, just recently, I've been telling people instead of, you know, you could go to Beth Page, but if you want to play the best public course west of that, uh, in the New York City area, you got to go to Sun Eagles, which is uh, 50 minutes, I'd say, south of the of Lower Manhattan, and uh, kind of on the Jersey Shore. There, uh, it was it was a private club for a very long time, and um, then became part of the. Mom- well, I guess it was. I don't know if it was Monmouth Park's first or it was what an army base actually. So there's still army barracks on it, and has recently been. Uh, purchased um but that golf course is freaking amazing there are greens there that are even more severe than what you walked across today at fenway or wingfoot and um i mean that would be another dream job place to help them get that thing back in order it's it's outrageously good so there's 19 i believe it was 1925 it was they have these these uh records i guess they had the one of the majors was at Oakmont that year, and then it was heading up, I guess, was it 25 or 35? Uh, they were heading up somewhere else in North Jersey. Uh, it was either Ridgewood or Wingfoot they were talking And And the, they were asked the pros and Sun Eagles, or I guess back then it was going by a different name, but uh, they said that was the harder of the three golf courses. Um, 
So that just tells like there's there's a lot of other public and even municipal golf in the Met area that has gone from private and is now uh, publicly accessible. So you've got Rock Spring, which just went there. You've got Francis Byrne. Uh, you've got Hendricks Field Club. Um, there's there's a ton of those that you can get, you know, Rainer, Banks, Tillinghast, um, you know, it probably doesn't have uh, Steve Rabideau or Rob Owanzi conditions on top of it, but uh, the stuff underneath is, is every bit as good, and um, I wish I knew about those when, you know, we were still driving to uh, some of these other places back when I was a kid, but the thing with those, I mean, how with these public golf courses that I think like one of the things that they, they just, it seems like they think they have to go and do everything all at once. Yeah, it, it's tough. Cause like sometimes with, I guess the, the public funding stuff is like, you know, the way a lot of people look at it is like, we only get one chance to ask. They're not, we're not going to be able to go back and ask for more again, right? Politically, that just doesn't work. So they, I guess it's like, okay, we're going to ask for one thing, you know, one chunk of capital. And so I think a lot, maybe stuff gets packaged into that. Um, that makes sense. But I, I mean, couldn't you in a way just tack it into like a, a budget on an annual basis, like X amount of dollars, especially somewhere that's doing. Yeah. Much. Like a yearly yeah. capital release sort of. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, so much too is right. You've got to get the trees out before you can even do any of the work. So, um, I definitely stole the phrase from, uh, a friend, but you know, I call it the, the scissors before shovels process, right? You got to get the trees out. You got to get the air going, the sun out, improve the conditions and also give yourself the room to work because it's such a huge, you know, there's very few places they're going to have the money to cut down, you know, uh, you know, some of these trees around here are like $3,000 a pop to get out. You know, I know you're like, ah, put them on the side of the road, but you know what? That doesn't work around here. No. So, you know, I've tried, I've tried, but yes, it does not work around here where you can't even find an organic dump that'll take stuff anymore. It's really, really difficult. So like, you know, if you can slowly go through that process over time, the, everything's going to get better in the meantime. But then you have the room to do the stuff after, um, if that makes sense, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Because like that's the thing I, I always think about is like, how do you get somewhere on like a twenty year plan? Because so many clubs do it that way, where you go back every year and it's like, oh, this got a little bit better, and then twenty years later, you're like, whoa, this place is really good now. You know, and it's like, to me, that's where they need to go because they can't afford to shut down. And a lot of clubs can't afford to shut down yeah. that are in similar positions, but that doesn't mean you can't improve because because what happens is they keep going backwards instead. I'm just yeah, you- nodding in agreement for the most part. It's tough, but you know, it's, it's funny. I was, I was, I was asked the, this question in an interview, right? It was like a week ago. I'm like, well, you know, if this process, if, you know, if this takes us 20 years, are you okay with that? And I was like, I'm like, well, I'm young enough. I, I see the potential in this property enough. If it takes us 20 years, I'm totally cool with that. Are you guys cool with that? Because 
if we can get it there, you know, no problem. You know, certainly at you know maybe a one you know you might get too caught up to do something when you know it's it'll be tough to schedule that. You know, not everybody be even bored to like you know to do. But what are, what are you doing on August fifth in uh, twenty thirty five? Oh man. <laughs> You were talking about what do you get the stre- anxiety of not knowing what you're going to do literally next week. Uh, you know, so that's a little right. You know, my fiance is listening to this just cringing and she can't get me to nail down a wedding date right now. And you're no, talking you about 20 years down the road. You need to do that. Happy uh, wife, happy life. We got it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, it'll be it'll be done very, very shortly. I promise. I'm siding with Mrs. Pro- or Ms. Uh, soon to be Mrs. Proper Golf. Right. Uh, yes, that's that's a wise move. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, I wish we had more time. We're gonna have to do this again. I mean, we we haven't even scratched the surface. We haven't even talked about, you know, Rayner and McDonald or you know Langford, right? Yeah. You, you got Tom Simpson in, but you didn't get old Bill Langford in. So it's okay. I don't. I. I you're. I, you see. Simpson, I haven't seen anything of Simpson, so I was genuinely curious. You it's know? good. It's good. I'm glad. I'm glad we we got at least perhaps one of the, if not the greatest architect of all time, got at least a, a mention on here. So good for him. I, uh, you know, the thing I've become enamored with is is Perry Maxwell. Uh, yep. Uh, um, essentially, you know, writing you know vapid statements of about who I believe to be Langford Moreau. I mean, they were, they must have hated each other. He talks about the steam shovel. He just did, bashes the steam shovel in some writing. Well, those little micro contours and rolls that he got, I, it's, you know, I guess it's like the same thing now. You know, I, I, I use a bulldozer and an excavator with a knuckle bucket for pretty much all the shaping. Uh, but there's other guys out there that use skid steers and I it just drives me nuts. I don't I cannot possibly understand how you get that machine to make the same shapes that I can out there. It just I don't know how you do it, at least without rolling the thing over on top of yourself like 30 times in the process. But so maybe that's all that is, you know, it's like, yeah, I like this tool. You like that tool. I mean, it's, you know, Apple versus uh, the guys with the little green bubbles. Uh, You know, uh, maybe it's just like that. No one likes the person in your group chat that's got the turns the whole thing green. Right. That's the worst. Are you a green guy? (laughs) No. Come on. The green, that's the worst. And then, and then all you, you can't do like the new like thing where you like it, you know, that shows up as a text to them. It's, it's awful. The great news is we got more time. Jaeger and I, uh, he went out and shot some more photos at Wingfoot and uh, he wanted to miss traffic. So Jaeger came back and we recorded about another hour. So that'll be part two. That'll be up on Monday or Tuesday of next week. So look forward to that. And uh, thanks again to Jaeger for his time and look for part two early next week. (laughs) 